Sad things. Let's talk about sad things. Sad things with Cody and Neil. Dot org. Hi, this is Cody Dagalorians. This is Neil Dagalorians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Let's disassociate with each other. Yay. Yay. <laughs> so, um, welcome back to the podcast. This is uh, episode episode three from Quarantine. Yeah, and we're totally not recording it directly after episode two. I mean, no, maybe not. No, we didn't do that. Uh, time is not a, an arrow. We are queering the quarantine <laughs> through our perception of time. Absolutely. So we decided to continue last episode's exploration of queer first times. The conversation continues. It continues uh, with some more queer first times. It was fun sharing stories and and sharing those things that are a little that are personal. Uh, considering the world is a giant dumpster fire of nightmare and disease, we thought it would be fun to just talk about these things. To bring you into <laughs> my mind, which is also a dumpster fire of disease. Of disease. Uh, but there are dicks there. D- diseased dicks? <laughs> Which you're also out in the world. It's all yeah. I got solicited this morning. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the thing. And when I said no because pandemic, he was like, "Yeah, you know, better safe than sorry." I'm like, yeah. "Sir." Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Sir. Agreed. Okay. So speaking of, because we did talk about it, that on a previous episode, I got um, chatted up on the apps by this guy who was in town for uh, he was like doing health stuff he's like a, a travel nurse of some kind and the travel nurse was asking me to go to his place and hook up and you didn't i travel nurse sir nurse <laughs> indeed because nurses help people nurse but this one was not helping mm-hmm. this was not helping i was like uh, no uh, no healthcare worker in the middle of a pandemic that you should know more about no no but he, he what was if? he was cute though yeah okay. I mean like sure who's cute so we're gonna dive into some more of these these queer first times let's um, get existential yeah so the first one for this episode is the first time you recognized you were queer yeah and that can mean anything yeah so like oh I hadn't thought about I hadn't thought about that I could do multiples I could have we can both do multiples okay so maybe the first time that I recognized I I remember the exact moment that I I, uh, that my brain said to myself Cody you're gay okay so I was a super lonely kid and it was in middle school and I had no friends in our neighborhood because we live kind of in the country and so my my kind of entertainment the thing that I would do when I was for had for for fun i would go out into our giant yard because we had a real a lot of big a big property my parents had a lot of big property so i'd go out and i'd wander around the yard and i had this piece of pvc pipe this gray pvc pipe that i would sort of throw and twirl in the air like a baton because i just needed something to do and so i'd be throwing it around like we're throwing like a baton and i would act out stuff like i would act out i was in movies and I would act out scenes I was in in movies. And then I would act out accepting an Oscar for being. <laughs> for uh, 
I was gonna say that that first part was like, yeah, all kids do that. No, but then you took it the extra gay level. I went to another gay level. So then I would act out my um, my Oscar speech. I would also act like I would act out scenes from movies I was in, and then I would act out interviews about the movies I was in, and I would include acting out scenes clips that they showed during the interview. <laughs> what a faggot! <laughs> I was I was the faggot. Okay, so. When I'm out in the world and I'm like I'm living my fantasy and I was I, I was up for best actor in a motion picture, I literally I remember like walking around and I was in between scenes. <laughs> You're in the dressing room. I was in between scenes, and there was just this moment that I said to myself, "Hmm, you know you're gay, right?" And I had that moment of like, "Oh." Oh, yeah, I'm gay. That makes all of this make sense. I'm gay. You know, you're gay, right? And uh, thanks. Uh, my brain was just like, you know, it's time. It's time for us to come to some agreement here. And that was um, that was the first time I recognized that I was. How old were you? A freshman in high school. <laughs> I'm not lying. I, I lived in a fantasy world for a very long time. I was a freshman in high school. Nurse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a freshman in high school. Oh my god. Anyway, how about you? God. Okay. Um, I remember having very strange dreams before I knew what sex was. I had no idea what sex was. Didn't know anything about what genitals were supposed to be used for. I was like in kindergarten, very very little little baby boy, and. I would have these dreams that I was with a sumo wrestler and we were doing things. Again, like I had no concept of sex. I didn't know what you were supposed to do with any of your parts. I didn't know anything. But later when I did learn, I was like, oh, that's what those were. And it wasn't like, like there was in those dreams, like it wasn't like I was being penetrated or penetrating or anything like that. It, it literally was just like kind of, pushing our bodies against each other i would wake up from those dreams and just be like <laughs> what <laughs> what <laughs> and i didn't know what to do with that and obviously i never told anybody but it's also like i never told anybody out of a sense of shame i just didn't i was just like okay this is a weird thing that i'm going through right now and whatever like that's just what i am who i am so like i didn't have any sense of vocabulary i I didn't have like a word. I didn't have a thing, but I was just like, I experienced pleasure in those dreams with rubbing my body against the body of a man. That's all I knew. And I was like, okay, that must be a thing. That must mean something. La-di-da time for coloring. Like that's kind of the moment that I think r was like the first moment of queerness, even before I had a language or a word for it. Sumo wrestlers, apparently my secret kink. I mean, it's trend alert. They're big. They're yeah. strong. Hello? Definitely trend alert. Slam me down, daddy. So what about the first time you accepted you were queer? Those are very different things, right? So the accepting of it came my freshman year of high school when I had a... <laughs> in, in At the time, it was a very radical liberal teacher and now i'm just like no his politics are pretty neoliberal but um 
he he had this uh, sense of inclusion and this sense of like very uh, radical acceptance of and, and he was my um, social studies teacher and I just remember like being able to feel safe in his classroom was just like okay maybe I maybe because he says it's okay to be gay maybe that means maybe we can internalize this and it wasn't necessarily in the same sense of like accepting myself but so much as me just being like okay this is the thing we're going to stop doing the whole trying to pray the gay away thing. We're going to stop being our own ex-gay therapist. We're going to stop with all this nonsense um, because it's not working and it's, it's just a thing that I have to deal with. So now I will go deal with that. That was the moment where I was just like, all right, this is a thing. Let's figure out what it means. For me, I want to talk about the, the time, the moment I accepted that I was um, ace. Okay. Because that to me is, um, that's a stronger experience. It's one that's more, that's closer to me. I only came out to sort of myself as a queer person, uh, as an ace person, like in the last year, I guess. I, I feel like it's maybe, it's about a year, I would, I would suspect. I went, in, I went into therapy. I hadn't been in therapy in a really long time because I'd kind of handled my anxiety issues, but I decided to go into therapy because this was, I was just going through a really tough time. And I went into therapy with this really incredible guy named Mike, therapy Mike. And in the first the first session, I would think I was kind of a bit of a stubborn head about um, kind of accepting what I'd come there for. I was still hedging my bets. I was still very much like, well, I think I might be. I don't know. I haven't quite figured it out yet. And uh, that was sort of where I was for the first session and maybe for the first few sessions. But we got to this one session where he really dug in with me about about the hedging of the bets and the this continuing to come in uh, week after week to work on a thing that I kept saying I might be or I think this is what's happening. I'm not so sure if this is what's happening. And he's asked me to like like just like own own it. He's like either you're doing it, either you are this thing or you're not. And I felt like, wow, this is a, uh, okay, here's a fork in the road. Okay, first of all, clocked. <laughs> yeah, here's the fork in the road. So I have to, like, I have to do this thing. So in that session, I, that was when I was owning it. I, like, I was, own, I was owning my truth, and I owned it. But that turned into a really, like, tough conversation about how much I hated it. And it was all these, all these reasons why I thought it was terrible and why I was bad and why I hated it and why I wanted to be anything but this thing that I was. Uh, he kept, he like allowed me to vent about all that, about all these things. And it, we finally boiled it down to just this very simple idea that I hated. I didn't want to say that I was ace because I felt it made me broken, that I was broken. And that was like the word that felt the most true to me that I felt broken. And I don't like remember what he said, but he said a thing and it was the first time that my brain heard why do you think that's broken? Why don't you think that's just another way to be? And it makes me like, it makes me want to cry right now. Like to say that, why do you think that's broken? Why can't you just see it as another way to exist in the world? And I felt kind of ashamed actually, because I have spent so much time as an adult person advocating for other queer identities under the same guise of like saying it's it's you know you, it's stupid for you to be transphobic because trans is not like it's not a broken gender identity that's just another way to be in the world and i don't understand why people can't just accept that there are different ways to be and different ways to exist and different ways to experience the world except for myself i was the only person that i wasn't affording that that like kindness to 
accepting my ace identity was like the was the first time in my my whole adult life that I think I fully allowed myself the kindness and the permission to just exist uh, exactly the way that I was without attempting to be some other thing or without not liking it or without trying to to fix a thing or hide a thing. It was the first time that I was fully able to say, okay, these are all the things that I am. And that was a very powerful moment to me. And shortly after that session, you went and got an Ace of Spades tattooed tramp stamp. That is a fabrication. They don't know that. <laughs> it's a fabrication. They don't know that. Check my Tumblr. Um, no, okay. <laughs> no, I don't I don't use Tumblr anymore. Sir. I don't. Um, you Even have to check my scrap profile. Um, no, there's not a picture. No, of there isn't. No, I don't do no. that. If no. you're going to make a joke, at least be accurate. Yeah, no, my tattoos are all elsewhere. So the next one is uh, the first time that you felt accepted. I'm assuming for your queerness by another person. Yeah. And this is one I've been thinking about a lot lately in terms of, I mean, this could mean so many different things because I feel like there are a thousand different contexts in which this could live. So it's like first time you're accepted by a friend, first time you're accepted by your family, first time you're accepted by colleagues, etc. Um, and I, I know for a fact that my friend from back home, Emilio, is the one person who has always accepted me throughout the various changes in my life and has always just kind of like been there for me. So he's the first person who comes to mind. But I've been thinking a lot about like feeling accepted in a professional context. And I'm finding it hard to kind of pinpoint a first time where I had ever been felt like very fully accepted and embraced in a professional context. And I'm slowly starting to kind of come to the conclusion maybe it's because I still haven't experienced that. And it's not to say that I haven't had colleagues and have colleagues now that accept me fully. I do. I totally do. But like thinking more holistically about like a whole professional setting, I don't feel like I've ever experienced a workplace or or some kind of professional, even like coming in as an artist somewhere where my entire self was just kind of um, accepted and embraced. And I think part of that is also because I'm recognizing that maybe I'm still accepting parts of myself. So if you can't accept yourself, how in the hell is anybody else going to accept you? But it's also just kind of like, like just thinking my family too, just thinking like, have I been accepted by my family? And in thinking about my family and thinking about professional spaces, I feel like while maybe I haven't been accepted, I certainly have been tolerated. And those are very different things like it's, it's totally different to embrace somebody versus to tolerate them and i've been tolerated in many spaces and i am currently being tolerated in many spaces so what does acceptance look like and feel like and it's almost like ooh, maybe i'm still learning that maybe i haven't experienced that yet which is why it's hard for me to pinpoint this question i think for me the first time i felt accepted was uh, in co- in college in my college theater program honestly that's my second Yay. but yeah no really that was the first place where kind of all the parts of my life came together and i was for the very first time surrounded by people who cared about the same things i cared about who dreamed the same kinds of dreams that i did 
you know, I, I grew up in a family of mechanics. I mean, the men in my family was a long line of auto mechanics. And then there was me and my brother, two creative kids. So I didn't necessarily grow up in a place that understood the things that I wanted. But I entered my high, my college theater program. And all of a sudden, there were 20 people that understood the same things I wanted. And they accepted me completely. They saw talent in me. They saw uh, someone worth hanging out with. They saw someone worth drinking with, someone worth spending hours and hours at rehearsal with. And that was the first place that I felt like um, that I was sort of fully, fully seen for who I thought I was at the time. As I wasn't totally myself yet, but who I thought I was, they were seeing that. And that felt like acceptance to me. It's part of why I miss theater so, so, so much in my life, even though there's some, I have really great friends and things. I miss that because that space was a lot of ways like my second home. Yeah, I want to kind of rewind on my question now because it led me to think like grad school. <laughs> like I think when I was in grad school, it was an opportunity to kind of redefine myself. And as a result, yeah, I, I definitely felt accepted in grad school for all of my flaws and in a way that I was never accepted in undergrad. It was just kind of like a, okay, this is Neil. This is what he does. And this is, these are the things he makes. Let's make him into a better maker. Um, and my cohort accepted me for who I was pretty readily too. So grad school was, was like that for me as well, I think. So the next first is the first time you actively hid your queerness from a person. Out of all the questions, this is the one that is the most hard for me. Yeah. Because I don't know how to distinguish a single action from an entire way of living. Does that make sense? No. And, and like, I also, I can't pinpoint my first, but I can talk about recent ones. Like, mm -hmm. there have been recent moments in my life that stick out to me where I'm just like, oh, that's a moment when I did that. And, you know, it's it's a complicated question, too, because we acknowledge that coming out is a constant thing that we're always doing. We're constantly coming out because of societal expectations of what a person should be. So, you know, this, this question, whether or not it's pinpointing the first, I think it is also helpful to think about when we may, maybe like what are moments where we are already out in, in a in a macro sense and yet there's a micro moment where we're hiding that from a person and my most recent example was the last time i went to the dentist <laughs> um they were setting up my like next appointment and i was like yeah so you know there's a chance i might be moving to new haven i don't know yet like we're working on it but like if i do i'm still gonna come to you because i'll still be working in hartford and the lady was like oh that's a very strange thing to do. And, you know, rightfully so. It's very strange to live in one city 45 minutes away and go to work and a dentist in another city. Like, that's strange. I actively took a moment to say, to not contextualize why that was a choice. I just kind of was like, yeah, I just, you know, need a new place to be. I just need a new a change of setting. You know, I didn't have the time to be like, yeah, well, that's equidistant for me and my husband to go to our our jobs i actively was just like nope 
I don't know you that well, and I am going to hide that from you because I don't feel comfortable in this moment for whatever reason. And I don't even know why. It's not like there was, <laughs> it's not like I walked in and there was like a no homos allowed, but I'm like, oh, but your feelings are so good. I just like, that was a moment where I very actively said, nope, you don't need to know this about me. See, I don't know that I would necessarily qualify that as hiding. I feel like there's a there's there's maybe a distinction to be made between hiding your queerness and also not including your queerness in a context in which it is irrelevant. You know, like I get it. I get you could have just said the truth, which was we New Haven is in between our two jobs. But also at the same time, it's your dentist. I don't need to talk to my dentist about my personal life. And there, there, there are contexts in which I, like, I, I, I don't think I'm omitting you. I'm just not talking with this person about my life. And that I don't know that, like, I don't know. I don't know that I would be so harsh on myself about that being hiding. I always feel like hiding is when you are fearful. You hide it when you're afraid of what would happen if the per- if if there is a negative response to the to the identity. Well, and I would argue in that moment I was afraid. I didn't want to be it was a very strange moment of internalized homophobia. It was a very strange moment that I hadn't experienced in in a long time. And so I in that moment that was a fear response I feel because trying to justify my move to New Haven under the guise of not having a partner working um, somewhere else was weirder and stranger than the truth and like a harder sell than to just be like, no, I'm a homo. But I, I chose the harder sell instead. I, I just think for me that there is, there's always, it feels like even though when I'm at my most, my most open or at my most exposed, and I think like this podcast is a great example of feeling like at your most exposed, there's nothing that we haven't really talked about in this in this forum to strangers who <laughs> hundreds and maybe thousands of strangers who are who are out in thousands. The world. Okay, yeah, let's no, reel it back. No, they're no. That's a joke. It's okay. That's a joke. Um, I don't know. I think there is there's there is always a part of being a queer person that requires your life to be somehow hidden. If if I think of like like a moment like yours, like a moment where I did it, I'm thinking of when I was in Tulsa and I had a barber that I really loved who was really awesome, and he always talked to me about his girlfriend and and asked me about my wife, and I just sort of was like, mm-hmm, and never really participated so much. I never really like came out and said, actually, I have a boyfriend. It's I never really did that. Um, I don't know that I recognize that as just being fearful or otherwise just like I just don't want to have small talk. I literally just don't want to talk to you. So I'm just going to say yes to whatever you say. But maybe it was fear. Maybe I'm deluding myself. I don't know. You are. I don't know. There's always... And I even think about it from my two perspectives. From my queer queer identity, but also my ace identity. Because I I hid that for a long time, too. From myself and also even from from other people. Um, I... Okay, so... Awakening. Probably in the way that I engage with, with other men now is probably a degree of hiding my aceness with them because I will, you know, like if a guy who I think is kind of cute wants to be like, yeah, dirty talk, dirty talk. I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll indulge you on this, even though I literally have no intention of doing that with them. And then they see that tramp stamp of the ace of spades (laughs) and they're like, wait a minute. But I can see that as being a moment where I'm choosing with another queer person to hide what's true about me when I really, you know, like, 
I don't necessarily want to touch your dick. That's I don't. I probably don't. You don't even want to touch mine. <laughs> like I probably don't. I probably don't want to touch a dick. And so if I'm saying that I really can't wait to touch your dick, I'm probably lying. I don't know. Catch me on the day. I don't know. <laughs> I imagine you're literally just like on on the chair downstairs eating toast while texting that. Like I can't wait. That is literally what's happening. Yeah. Or like I'm watching YouTube. It's like the guy thinks I'm I'm I don't know in the throes of passion and I'm watching a Try Guys video. And you are in the throes of passion. <laughs> Yeah, literally just for another reason. Entirely. Yeah, no, it's just because Keith found an egg. Yeah. So the last one, what was the first time you were happy to be queer? I feel like that's a relatively recent phenomenon for me. I think it was at the Rose Garden at Bushnell Park when we got married. And that's like cheesy and stuff. But like in that moment, everything felt right and everything felt okay. And I was like, all right, this is an okay way to be in the world. And we had just moved to Connecticut and we were starting a brand new life and the world was full of possibilities. And I was like, okay, I'm actually really happy that this is how my life turned out and that this wouldn't have turned out this way had I not been queer and I wouldn't be in grad school. I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't be on this journey if it weren't for that. And I, I think part of it, too, is like, okay, I got to move to Connecticut and completely reinvent myself. And if we move again in the future, foreshadowing, maybe I'll get to reinvent myself again. And, like, I feel I feel like people, queer people especially, just need to reinvent themselves every once in a while. Mine's earlier. Well, excuse me. <laughs> I'm also older. So the first time that I felt really happy to be queer... It was probably 3 a.m. and I was in Louisiana. We had gone, my friend Karen and James. Karen was like my female best friend who we did everything together when I was in college. James was another person in the theater department. We were all three friends. We went out all the time. So we had gone out and we met some people, met this guy named Jamie and his friend Conrad. And we hung out with them for most of the night at the bar. Then the bar closed at two. And we decided that we didn't want to stop hanging out. We wanted to, to continue hanging out. So there was this visit, this tourist information center in Lafayette that had like this pier. And you could you could still get into it after hours. So we thought, okay, that's going to be cool. Let's go. It's going to be a pretty sight. So we went over the tourist information center. It was maybe like 10 minutes from the bar. And we went out to the pier and we were going to watch the sunrise. And I was, I desperately wanted to go on a date with Conrad. He was fucking beautiful and he was funny and he was kind. He was taller than me, which I thought was really hot. And everything about him, I was like, I, like, I want, I want to go out with you. You're just lovely and you make me laugh and it's just like perfect and everything. So we're sitting on this pier at three in the morning and I'm hanging out with my, my best friends in the world. And I have these two new queer people who are also awesome. And we've made this little community on this pier and I'm in love with Conrad pining for Conrad. And at that time I was, I was very much into unrequited drama. That was like, that was my bread and butter. (laughs) Current, the current time as well. The time stretches, but at the time I was beginning my journey into unrequited love. So I'm having this unrequited love moment and the sun is the sun is going to be coming up soon and we're laughing and talking about everything and it felt like the world was so fucking perfect and it was a gay one. It was a gay world. This was a gay world. I was around Karen was straight but 
But, but we forgive her. We forgive her. And I was in this place with other queer people and it just felt enormously joyous and hopeful and full of possibility. And I wanted to live there forever. And it was all downhill from there. It pretty much was. Like Conrad never talked to me ever again. I reached Yikes. out to him many times and I, he was just like, now nah, you're not cute enough. And that was painful. I ran into Jamie a few other times. It was the only time we all ever hung out. But that moment was so, like, it was so perfect and so queer. It was a very, very happy moment. And I thought, ah, this is why... This is why the coming out and the fighting and the and the fighting with yourself and the fighting with the world is worth it. Well, I'm happy that that had nothing to do with me. I didn't know you. I don't, you were barely born. You were like a toddler. <laughs> so I hope it didn't have anything what, to do with what you. What year was that? 95, 96. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was in first grade. Yeah, 95, 96. It was, it was a long time ago. Uh, but that was like the first time I was happy to be queer. Cool story, bro. Thank you. I was a little worried about these because these were a little bit more serious in tone, but we actually ended up having a pretty balanced, I think, conversation that's both funny and light. Um, but also serious. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I do a good thing. So, as always, we are really grateful that you listen to the podcast and that you support us and continue to, uh, even though we are very sporadic in our podcast episodes, we're going to continue to try our best uh, in bringing more episodes to you as the weeks go on. And we, uh, we're really gra- glad that you keep listening. Please make sure if you know folks who would really enjoy Bearded Fruit, share it with them. There are lots of ways you can do that. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Google Play Music. And you can find us on iTunes. So grab a link. Share it with a friend. Share it with your, your gay friends. Share it with your straight friends. Anybody. Joshua, you're gay, right? <laughs> you would really like this podcast because it's gay. Yeah. And then also tokenize your friends. And also let us know that you're listening to the podcast. We would love to hear from people who um, do listen. Shout out to Jason who did send us an email because of the because he was listening. He was glad we were back. Thank you, Jason, for that lovely email. I'm sorry I never responded. I responded. Okay, good. You didn't you didn't reply all. Oh, sorry. That's the one time reply all is okay. <laughs> but I if, didn't respond because I was like really sad that Neil makes things at gmail.com was taken. Oh. And it wasn't me. I was just like, wait, I should. And then I think maybe I registered it years ago and then forgot. I don't know. But I'm very sad because of this email. <laughs> So you can't find him at that email address, but you can find us in other places. You can find Bearded Fruit online at beardedfruit.com. You can find Bearded Fruit on Twitter at beardedfruitpod. You can also find Neil and I individually on Twitter. I am there all the time at cdagleorians. I'm Neil Makes Things, and maybe if you're lucky, you'll find my alt account. Ooh. Ooh. You probably won't. But please reach out to us. Let us know that you're listening. Share your first times with us and share the podcast with other people. So until the next episode, thank you. Bye. Share the first time you listened to Bearded Fruit with us. It better not be yesterday. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. Bye. Bye.